continuing our series, Family Matters. Today, I want to share a message. Subtitle is Prayer Matters. I want to uh, share some truth with you today that uh, I have shared before, but I find that it's so important to keep renewing your prayer life, to continue to up that level of prayer and, and reconnect and re-engage with, with prayer, to learn, develop, and grow. In your, in your time with God. So I want to talk about today and teach on the subject prayer matters, particularly when we're thinking about family. It's really the whole impetus for the Daniel prayer, for, for all these things that we've learned, uh, how to pray. The whole motivation was how do we pray for our families? How do we become better in prayer? Uh, the principles I want to teach you today apply in every area of your life. I, as I've shared with you throughout this series, whether you're single whether you're married, whether you're a student, a grandparent, wherever you are, whatever stage in life, a biblical principle works for everyone. A true biblical principle works for everyone in every situation. So we're going to begin here in Daniel 1. Before I read, let me just a couple of things highlight. Life track. It begins this Wednesday night. You just heard the announcement. Uh, you can sign up online. You can sign up at the information booth in the commons area. Uh, this is your best opportunity to find out more about vision and values here at Calvary. If you'd like to know more about this church, uh, wh what God's doing, where we're going, what's the vision, this is the place to do that. It's a place to get to meet our pastoral staff. It's where you get, can discover your spiritual gift, how you connect. If you'd like to be a member of Calvary, this, this is the track that allows you to do that. It's not a mandatory membership, but at the end of that, you'll be given the option if you'd like to. So it's a very, very important next step in getting connected here. And I would encourage you to do that. We look forward to, to hearing from you and having you join us this Wednesday night. And then one, one thing we, we have failed to announce, but one that's very important, why don't you go ahead and put this on your calendar, Tuesday night, August 21st, is our next leadership training here at Calvary, our Anointed Excellence, Tuesday night, August 21st. If you are on any ministry team at Calvary, usher, greeter, parking lot, children, students, worship, technology, ladies, men, any area, uh, our, our, our elders, our trustees, whatever area of ministry you serve in at Calvary, once a quarter, we have a leadership summit where we come together and cast vision, pray together. It's, it's, it's imperative that we do this, and it's mandatory to serve on one of those teams. So if you're serving on one of those teams, it's mandatory that you're at these quarterly leadership uh, summits. The next one is Tuesday night, August 21, all right? So I want to make sure you have that on your calendar. We'll be sending out some information, and we're looking forward to that. That's always one of our favorite uh, things that happens, to get that group together, our, our dream team, our servant leaders, uh, and share together. It's outstanding. It's, it's one of our most exciting times. So I don't want you to miss that. Tuesday the 21st, coming up in a couple of weeks. So let's look at this prayer matters. Uh, I really want to focus, of course, today, we just prayed the Daniel prayer. There are five principles out of Daniel chapter 1 that, uh, that God has helped us to discover and to develop and pray over our children, our grandchildren, our nephews, our nieces. Uh, you, you need to pray this over yourself. Can somebody say amen to that? I, I, if I was old enough to, to get this, I would be praying it daily over myself, not, not waiting and hoping somebody else does. So, so parents, uh, what do you do on these big moments? Uh, what, what happens on that first day of kindergarten when you've got to say you got to let that little five-year-old go for the first time? 
you know, I've seen those mamas crying, and I've seen the daddies acting like they're not crying. I, I mean, I, I've seen those moments. Our educators know what it's like to try to get all the moms out of school, you know, on that first day so they can do their thing. What about the first day they go to middle school? You know, oh, my goodness, they're not in elementary anymore. What about that first day that, you know, they, they go to high school, and now, man, it's another moment. What about that day they get in a car and drive off and go to college someplace? Yeah, there's some big days, and there's some moments that, that, that we're, we're going to face in life. And, and can I be honest with you? You better know how to pray. And, and, and learning how to pray is kind of like making a friend. When you need a friend, it's too late to make a friend. How many understand what I'm saying? When you need to pray powerful prayers, it's too late to start learning how to pray. You start right here, right now. Because days are coming where you're going to be confronted uh, with issues for your family where you know, God, I have to have something big go on right now. Lord, we must have something happen. So we must learn how to pray. And not just, you know, uh, those, those kind of prayers where we just throw something up and hope something happens, you know. Not just a hoping, wishing prayer. Not, not just, well, it couldn't hurt kind of prayer. But, but let, me, let me use some terminology here. We need to learn how to pray prayers that will define the destiny of a generation. Now, I want you to get that term, prayers that will define the destiny of of a generation. We, we need to learn how to begin to pray like that. You see, what happened here with Daniel, we use him, we're going to use he and, and his companions for part of this illustration today. Uh, this was an assault against an entire generation. The nation of Israel had been overtaken by the Babylonians. Never before had the nation been conquered since they had taken their promised land. This was something unprecedented. They were now captured and what the Babylonians did, we see the strategy of Satan in this moment. Parents, I want you to get this. I want you to hear me. Grandparents, I want you to get this. Singles, I want you to get this. We must have a paradigm shift in how we think about prayer. Okay? That, that was sort of moderate and rather Episcopalian. Sorry. They're just quieter than we are. <clears throat> Someone will give you a chance to re reconnect with Calvary. So... We must have a complete shift in the way we think about prayer if we're going to be ready for our students and our children to reach their destiny. Can somebody say amen about that? Now, I love the Episcopalians. Don't get all uptight and politically correct on me. I was just thinking about people who worship quieter than we worship. It's all okay. It's all good. All right. So what happens here is that we must regain or maybe discover how powerful our prayers are. We must begin to understand what prayer can accomplish. We have to reconnect with that. It seems like prayer is something that is a constant battle to be disciplined in. We start and then we back off. We, we, we're praying in a crisis and then we, we stop. We have to learn what, what's going on or understand this and implement it. And, and again, here's this Daniel thing is such an illustration. What, what happens when Satan wants to destroy the next generation? What does he do? Well, the Babylonians finally destroyed Israel, captured them. And what they did, they not only destroyed the city, but they made a strategic decision. They took as captive the brightest and the best of the rising generation. And they targeted them and marched them back to Babylon to retrain them, to reorient them, to interrogate them and, and shift their thinking and their lifestyle. Their goal was these young men and women are the best and the brightest of a new generation. So Satan has to be strategic. So he always goes after the young ones. 
And if he can shift them at an early age, he can rob the destiny and the purpose of that generation. So, so this is what's happening. Church family, we must learn to pray prayers, listen to these terms, that create generational momentum. We have to pass the baton off in such a way that every generation does not have to start all over again, but we can start them where we're leaving off. How many are listening to me? Okay, we must become more strategic. We must become more intentional. You must elevate your understanding of who you are as you pray. We cannot afford to say, I don't know how to pray. We cannot afford to say, I'm not a good prayer. We cannot afford to say, I'll, I'll have to have somebody else pray. Thank God for prayer here at church. Thank God for calling somebody to pray for you. But I'm telling you, we are living in a season, in an in a era, in a time where you must understand that your prayer life matters. And how you pray and what you say has phenomenal impact on your family and those that are around us. And so here's, here's what we, we want to see. This is Satan's strategy. It was a strategy uh, of Babylon here, of Nebuchadnezzar. What did they do? Let's get these young men and women, and let's capture them while they're young. Let's move them out of Israel. Let's take them away from the temple. Let's move them as far away as we can from the worship of God. And what we need to do is indoctrinate them so they never understand that their gifts and talents were God-given. We want them to think their gifts and talents are theirs to be used however they want. Because Satan understands that if a young person ever catches it, that I was created by God and created for God, that my gift and my talent and the destiny of my life will never reach its full extent unless I understand God has a purpose for me. God created me with ability. And if somebody steals that connection early on and a young person develops their skills and talents and their gifts without that personal relationship with the Lord, then, then, then we rob them of their destiny. Then they don't understand what their purpose is, why God created them and how God created them. Let's, let's read a little here uh, in Daniel 1 verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasures uh, and put in the treasure house of his God. So much to say there. I want you to notice the Bible said that, uh, look at verse 2, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of of the Babylonian king. Did you read that verse? That had never happened before. God had been their protector and their security, and no one had been able to defeat Israel. But now we read that God turned him over. Why? Well, you'd have to read everything up to this point in, in Scripture. Uh, generation after generation, king after king after king had turned their back on God. And God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet to say, Turn back to God. You're, you're, you are turning away from God. You are breaking your blessing. You are walking out from under favor. You are turning away from God. And God cannot always restrain. Somewhere there is a consequence for bad decision. How many hear what I'm saying? <clears throat> Never understand God's mercy for his approval. How many heard what I just said? 
Did you get that? Don't mistake God's mercy for his approval. Don't mistake his patience for his approval. Israel continued and continued and continued until God said, I can't bless you anymore. I can't condone what you're doing. You know as a parent that if you keep enabling a child while they're running in the wrong direction, you become part of the reason that they've destroyed their life. Somewhere there has to be reality that if you keep doing this, then I have to start doing something different, right? And so God finally, because of their arrogant, stubborn rebellion, said, I can't help you anymore. And what happened? What did they do? The foreign king comes in and destroys him. Watch this. And he takes the treasures that belong to God and he gives them to his God. Satan is always after that thing in your life that God has given you to serve him. Satan is always after the treasure in your life. Satan is after you and after your children and after America and this nation. Why? Because God has put gifts and talents and abilities that are to be used for him. And so they took these young men. And and, and let me keep reading now. So so what happens in verse 3? Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court, officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. He, He captured the best. Young men without, watch this, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them. So what did he do? See their qualification? And what are they going to do? He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The first thing he says, all right, they're really good. These are the best. We're going to have to indoctrinate them in our culture. We're going to have to make a shift. They're going to have to speak our language. They're going to have to think like we think, all right? The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know them better as whom? Well, they changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, and Hananiah became Shadrach, Mishael became Meshach, Azariah became Abednego. So you see, instantly, the first order was, let's remove them from God, let's begin to indoctrinate them in our culture, let's teach them our language, let's teach them our customs, let's disconnect their gift from a godly purpose, and let's get them ready to serve an ungodly king. Parents, Satan's plan is to indoctrinate your children while they're young. I asked you last Sunday, please don't let television, video, video games, internet, modern culture, please don't let those things raise your family. Please don't offer your child to them and begin to allow them to learn the language, the manners, the customs, the mindsets. Of this world we're living in today because if they're successful in that then our children never reach their destiny never reach the fullness of who God made them to be and so they attack them Uh, it's can, can I tell you something it's always the young that Satan goes after it's always the young can I give you some good news the devil is much more afraid of your future than he is your past can, can I tell you that again? The devil is horrified of your future. This young generation, he, he's in a panic over them. 
His pattern has always been to attack them. See, for every generation that's born, the devil has a strategy to send them to hell, to steal, kill, and destroy. And God has a strategy to give them life and give it more abundantly. And someone's going to have to stand in the gap and pray over them and connect them to the plan of God. Every child that's born, you need to understand that. This is sobering. Some of the things I have to say to you today, but I'm wanting us to understand that prayer matters in your home. Prayer matters. If I can say anything to you, you can give them money, you can give them education, but please pray over your children. Please, please learn how to pray powerful prayers. If you're a single dad, listen to me, sir, you have to do anything you can do but pray over those children every day. Mom, pray over those children every day. Grandparents, uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters, family members, pray over those children. Teachers, pray these prayers over the children. This week I was flying back from a meeting and, and I was uh, sitting on a plane and, and, and uh, uh, we, there, it was crazy, a two-hour delay, mechanical problem, get off the plane, get back on the plane. And, and the two people sitting on the row with me made other flights and, and I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to have the whole row to myself. And I sat down and just about that time, they brought two little boys in and put them down there. And I looked, and they had that tag on them. It said, you know, in transport, little guy, little boy, by themselves. They were scared. They were cold on the plane. They brought them blankets. They, as soon as they sat down, they got the blankets and covered their heads up. It's hiding from this world. So I tried to talk to them, encourage them, let them know things are going to be okay. What do you, they, they, I don't know what their life had been like. They got on a plane and slept for two hours. Just worn out and tired, little bitty guys. And I thought about what we're learning about family matters. Things matter. I said, God, let me put something in these two little guys while I got a chance. Let me say something to encourage them. Let me do something. You know, I don't think it was a coincidence that my, my seatmates left and those little boys came and sat down. Full plane, only two seats on the plane, right there. God has a plan for those boys. God has a plan for your children. And God's always trying to organize and orchestrate things so that you and your family fulfill the purposes of God. But I'm going to tell you, prayer is going to make a difference. Your prayer and how you pray. It's always the young. It's always the young. What about Moses? When Moses was born, uh, the deliverer was born, and Pharaoh didn't understand that. Pharaoh doesn't know, but alarm went off in hell, and Satan knew. And, and this unprecedented thing happened. Satan puts in the heart of Pharaoh, well, this, the, the people, uh, the Israelites are too many. They're, they're proliferating. There are too many in the nation. So kill all the male babies. Why? Because Satan was fearful knowing a deliverer was going to be born. His name was Moses. And what happened and what allowed him to live and stay, save that nation? His parents made a hard decision. We could die for this, but we're not going to just let them come kill our son. We're going to hide him. We're going to take care of him. We're going to resist what this world is telling us to do. Mom and dad, you're going to have to make some decisions to do what's right for your children. If everybody else is doing something else, if everybody else is giving in, if everybody else is saying it's not worth the effort, listen to me. There are times as a Christian, you have to go against the flow. You have to do what is right when everybody's doing what's wrong. You have to realize there's a reason Satan is doing what he's doing. And they said, we're not going to give our son up. We're just not going to offer him up. You have to make some choices. Everybody hear me today. So you know the story. They make a little basket and cover it with tar. And they put it out in the, in, on the edge of the river Nile because he was getting older. And you could hear his cries. And his sister watches him all day. And one day, can you believe who walks by? Pharaoh's daughter. 
a sure death. Here's one of the little Hebrew babies that are supposed to die. But Pharaoh's daughter, instead of bringing him to kill him, she says, I've been wanting a baby, I'll adopt him. And the little girl, his sister Miriam, was so smart, who was watching him, she, said, she realized, she said, well, you know, uh, you didn't birth this baby, and he's tiny. He needs a nursemaid. What if I go find a nursemaid from one of the Hebrew women? She said, that's a great idea. And she goes and gets his mother. If you'll make the right decisions over your children and your family, if you will pray when you could be doing other things and pay the price, God will make the devil pay the bill for the destiny of your children to reach the plans and purposes of God. Is that the craziest story you've ever heard? The daughter of the man who said he's got to die paid for him to educate and grow up. 2,000 years ago, that alarm went off in hell again because Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin, and he finds another wicked ruler, Herod, and puts in his heart, you better kill these babies because one of them could be a king, and the, and the decree is given, and God spares his son, Jesus. But we live in our world today, and now for the last 40 years, there have been millions of babies who have been slaughtered in the womb of their mother. There must be a fear in the heart of Satan unlike any generation ever because now he does not even wait for them to be born as he attacks them in the womb. He is afraid of this generation that God is raising up and I want to say to you these young men and women that stood here they're not they're not going to be a casualty they're going to be overcomers they're not going to be a statistic they're going to be Daniels they're going to serve the living God you see Satan's more afraid of your future than your past we have to understand why we need to pray now, now, ladies, listen, I know abortion is a hot topic. I could care, listen to me, I am so sick and tired of politics. If you want to talk politics with me, I don't have time. If you want me to preach your political agenda, stay home. If you think I'm going to lessen the word of God to a political party, you made a big mistake. If you think that's what we're going to do in this house, it's not going to happen. So I don't care why you do or don't like uh, abortion. It has nothing to do with Republicans, Democrats, this, that, and that other. I'm just reading in the word of God in Psalm 139. While you were yet in your mother's womb, God began to write a story for you. And every child has the right to live. Ladies, if you've been under pressure, I don't think anybody understands why what, what went into place for some women that have had an abortion. You know, you, we weren't there when the father of that child said, I'll have nothing to do with you. We weren't there when that young woman's parents said, you do that or we'll kick you out of the house. We weren't there when she faced some of the most gut-wrenching decisions a little girl could ever make. And, and, and maybe today she'd go back and redo that. But I can tell you something. We serve the God who's not against you. He's for you. And the God who can forgive and heal and restore and take your biggest mistake and turn it around. That's the God we serve. We're not haters, but we stand for the truth. And I want you to understand, this generation has been assaulted by hell before they were ever born. Do you know why? Because there must be a generation of deliverers and mighty young men and women that are being raised up. And we have to stand and pray them into this place. The things they face in school today are unprecedented. The challenges they face the things that they are that that happen to them, the 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 stories they hear, the 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 absolute, I, I don't know. It just goes on and on. Uh, what they what they are able to encounter as they access the internet through phones and tablets and computers, unbelievable, unbelievable. Somebody had better pray. 
Somebody had better monitor and raise their family and love those kids enough to watch over them. Love them enough to take care of them. Let, let, let's, let me go on. I want to, I, I wanna, there's two areas, and I'm, I'm just kind of really pushing fast, but I want you to see, I want you to go to Matthew with me. Let's go to, to uh, wow, look at all these pages. You're getting all this missed. It's just missed. It's just, okay, we're, we're going, we're going. Uh, okay, L- let's, let's do this. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to Matthew 6. How do we pray? How do we pray? What do we pray? Pastor, how do we pray? I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to pray. I want you to be not afraid but concerned. How many hear what I'm saying? You know how to stop being afraid? Start being active. You know how to stop being afraid? Start praying. You know how to have peace? Start praying. You know how to have confidence over your children? Start praying. God's able to do what no one else can do. The prayer of one person can change a nation. How many heard what I just said? The prayer of one person. So Jesus' disciples began to watch him pray, and they said, Lord, your prayer life is so amazing. How do we pray? What do we pray? What are we supposed to ask then? Verse 9 in, in, in Matthew 6, verse 9 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10, what's the first request? If, if you ask Jesus, when Jesus was asked, What do I pray? The first thing he said you ask is Matthew 6:10. He said this, pray this, Father. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Matthew 28 and verse 18. I want you to get a couple of principles here that are so important. Matthew 28 and verse 18. I want to talk about praying with authority. Praying with authority. Understanding authority. It's a critical issue in praying the kind of prayer that will change the course of a generation, that will bless your children, that will change your family, that will change your marriage. The Bible says, returning to Matthew 28, the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that our battle is really not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. There's a spiritual battle that's being waged for our children and our family. There's a spiritual battle that you're fighting in your marriage. If you can begin to understand your spouse is not your problem, it's the principality behind that argument that's the problem. How many heard what I just said? If we'll stop fighting each other and start warring against the devil together, your marriage is going to take a shift. I want to say that again. If we'll stop fighting with each other and start warring together against Satan, your marriage will take a shift. Mom and dad, if you'll stop being frustrated and hopeless with your children and start warring together over them in the spirit, something's going to shift in that family setting. If we're not happy what's going on at school and we'll start warring together about situations, God can shift that situation. We just saw godly educators stand all over this place today. God is answering prayer. God is sending the right people into the right places. Yes, there, you know, you're, there are some people that are in education that shouldn't be in education. But there are some people in education that are called by God, and I believe that greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. I believe the light's going to overcome the darkness, but we're going to have to stand together and pray. In fact, it's reached a place. Do you know the state of Alabama passed a resolution, our state legislature, that this weekend is called Days of Prayer for Our Schools? The state legislature, signed by our governor, sponsored by Arthur Orr, one of our local senators from this area, days of prayer, a state resolution encouraging parents, students, and teachers to pray over our schools this weekend before we start. 
This afternoon at six in three different counties, people will be walking over the campuses of schools and praying. Maybe uh, I think that's Morgan, Coleman, and, and uh, Lawrence. So let's add Limestone and Madison into this thing. And I would encourage you today, as a family, take a stroll over that school. Why don't you do that? Why don't you walk around it? Why don't you at least get in your car and drive around it? Whatever school your student's going to be entering, say, God, in Jesus' name, listen to this. I'm going to take authority over this. Do you know you can take authority over spiritual entities? Listen, here's where we get frustrated. You and I, I don't have the authority to walk in <clears throat> to a, 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 an employee of a school and take authority over somebody or take authority over this situation because that's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in that place. I'm not authorized to do that. But do you know in prayer you are authorized to defeat every demon assigned to your family? You are authorized by hell to destroy every spiritual weapon that comes against you. Do you know you're authorized to do that? Authority. Look, look, look with me here. So Jesus said, the first thing I want you to do is pray my kingdom comes and that God's will in heaven is done on earth. Let's stop waiting to go to heaven to get all, everything God promised. So notice what Jesus said and notice the timing of Matthew 28 verses 18 and 19. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, what, 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 how much? All authority. Did he say power? What did he say? Is there a difference in power and authority? Yes, there is. All authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He never made that statement until Matthew 28. Okay? So what does he say? Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Church family, I want you to understand a couple of principles here. Power is might, strength, and force. Might, strength, force. Authority is the right to use that force. Okay? Uh, now, I want, you to, I want you to track this with me. When Satan caused Adam and Eve to sin, and Adam sinned, aren't you listening? Satan did not gain any power when Adam sinned, and this is going to shock you, and he didn't lose any power when Jesus died on the cross. Okay? Satan has power. The question is, where is he allowed to use that power? So if Satan didn't gain any power when Adam fell in the garden, what did Satan gain? He gained the authority God had delegated to Adam to represent him on the earth. Satan didn't gain any more power. What he did was he usurped Adam's authority. Everybody with me? So when Jesus died on the cross, Satan still had power. Are you ready? But now he lost his authority. How much authority did, did, did he say? I have all authority now. So here's what Satan will do. Satan will use his power until you show up with God's authority. As long, See, we, we like to think, the Bible says, all power. He didn't say all power. You got to understand the terminology. All authority. All authority. So Satan is like a roaring lion going back and forth seeking whom he May is a permissive word, whom he may devour. 
And as long as no one stands in authority representing the kingdom of heaven with Jesus' name, he will use his power. But when someone, one, somebody say one, one, when someone, if you get two together, it begins to multiply. But if someone will say, in the name of Jesus... I declare that all authority has been given, and when he took the authority away from Satan, he gave it back to his church on earth. Now, what you need to understand, that even when Adam fell and Satan took his authority, the authority of God was never questioned. And you have to understand that the power Satan has has never taken any of the power of God. So God has power and authority. But what he is looking for is someone on this earth who will use his authority to defeat the devil who's trying to do his plan. You have authority as a born-again believer in the name of Jesus to speak his name, and it carries the authority of God himself speaking into that situation. We can act afraid. We can say it's just me. We need to stop that loser talk. We need to stop that loser mentality. We need to break out of that mindset. We need a paradigm shift. We need to stop saying what I do doesn't matter. That's a lie. We need to stop saying I don't know how to pray. I'm teaching you, so now that's a lie. We need to stop letting somebody else do it. And we need to start saying in Jesus' name, all authority in heaven on earth is now at our disposal. And Satan, I draw a line in Jesus' name, and you have no authority here. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. Let me kind of push on and, and show you something. Mark 1 verse 9. Watch this. We, we have to understand authority, authority, authority. We have authority. L- listen, do you understand that's why before you're a Christian, the devil always wins? Do you understand that? Because until you're a Christian, you do not have authority. Do you remember uh, in, in the book of Acts where there were seven sons of a Jewish priest who were who's been watching what Paul was doing and, and amazed by his authority. So they found a demon-possessed guy. You can read this in the book of Acts. And they went to the demon-possessed guy and they said, okay, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, get out of him. And the demon said, Paul we know, Jesus we know, we don't know you boys. And it said the demon-possessed man jumped on him and beat him down so bad he beat the clothes off of him. And they went running out of the house naked and embarrassed. Why? They had no authority. How do I receive authority? Authority flows in a straight line. If I am submitted to Jesus, if I'm a born-again believer, if I belong to him, all authority from heaven flows to earth right where you are. If you're not a born-again believer, you don't have any authority. Does Satan have power? Yes. Why do you always lose without Jesus? Because he has more power than you have. He will always have more power than any human being. Even the human beings, they think they've got it all together. They're just his puppet. He's only letting them have enough power to do his will like Herod, like Pharaoh. So without Christ, I have no authority. With Christ, I have all authority. Isn't that amazing? So we can begin to pray. Now, let's watch this. Watch this spiritual warfare, all right, in Mark 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. This is the beginning of his earthly ministry, okay? He's about 30 years old. Watch verse 10. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, you ready? He saw heaven being what? Nicely welcomed. No, these, these words mean, mean ripped apart violently. Okay? 
as, as he was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now, this word heaven is the, is the term for the heavenlies, not heaven where God dwells, but the spiritual realm between heaven and earth that surrounds this planet. And so the Bible says that as Jesus is coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him. And the Bible said the Holy Spirit remained on him. It was the beginning of the whole revolution of this planet. Because you see, Satan had been the authority, the spirit God, the ruler of this planet from Adam's fall. He had usurped the authority and he was exercising his power. But when the Holy Spirit came to anoint Jesus, the Bible says it ripped through a barrier. It tore through the resistance. The demonic strongholds of hell that had been established. Are you with me? Suddenly something stronger literally ripped right through all the power of hell and rested on him. Satan didn't welcome that. He resisted it. But the Bible said God tore it open. Are you with me? And so when the Holy Spirit comes into a situation, come on, representing the power of God. See, when you, as his authority, call on his power, there is nothing the devil has that can stand against the glory of God ripping through everything Satan holds. You know that demonic stronghold that's holding your family or that demonic strategy trying to deceive your children? You have authority in the name of Jesus to welcome heaven to earth, and the power of God will rip open the strongholds that Satan holds against your life. Come on, let's give God thanks for that. God is able. Hallelujah. I want you to go to this. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 10 and verse 19. Luke 10, 19. I'm going to make this my last scripture for today. Praying with authority. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. I love this verse. This is Jesus. Are you ready, church? Luke 10, 19. We got it here. Look, I have given you, given you authority to trample on snakes. That's not only physically, but Satan himself and scorpions. And to overcome, here it is. You, you got to memorize Luke 10, 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to what? Overcome what? How much? All the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Do you realize that you've authorized by God to use the name of Jesus to release the power of God to overcome all the power of the enemy? Your authority is greater than all the power of hell. Every wicked thing Satan has ever done, you have authority over that. Every demon, every stronghold, a million demons, a million trillion demons, are not greater than the authority of Jesus Christ. Do we understand that? And here's what we have done, if we're not careful, and I want you to get this. We have taught a theology to, in the modern Western church that could almost be called fatalism, where we have said and accepted Satan's influence and destruction, hiding behind the fact of our theology, saying, well, whatever God wants will happen. Whatever happens is the will of God. You haven't read all your Bible. God told the first generation of Israel, when he spoke to them in Egypt, he said, you're going to do this and you're going to go in and you're going to do that. They never fulfilled the will of God. Why? They disobeyed, they disobeyed, they disobeyed. The way that God's will from heaven becomes God's will on earth is when God's will is connected with somebody on this earth who surrenders to the will of God. 
There, there have been times of Scripture God said, you can do this, and nobody did it. It's your, it's your blessing, and nobody did it. It's your right, and nobody took advantage of it. God's will happens where people surrender to the will of God. God's will occurs where people pray and engage the enemy standing against the will of God. God told the, the, the second generation that finally went into the promised land that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go before you. You need to be strong. You need to be courageous. But they had to go fight the enemy. How many understand what I'm saying? They had to fight the enemy. He said, you're going to win. But they didn't win till they fought. He said, the land belongs to you. But they didn't take it till they marched over it. We cannot sit in our church buildings and say, if God wants a revival, he'll send a revival. Somebody's got to pray one into this place. We can't sit in our home and say, well, if God wants my children saved, they'll be saved. His word says, I would have all men saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. If you want your children saved, you're going to have to get up out of bondage. You're going to have to put on your walking shoes. You're going to have to walk into the enemy's territory. You're going to have to get some weapons out, use the name of Jesus, and you'll win the battle. But you will not win a battle you do not fight. You will not defeat an enemy that you do not engage. You will not defeat the power of hell until you use the authority of heaven. And God is waiting on his church to take his authority, to begin to push and press in prayer and believe God. We are not accepting the status quo. We are not believing it will always be this way. I believe it can change. I believe God can come through and do things greater than we imagine. But you and I, are the ones delegated with the authority. You and I are the army he's called to this season. 